Amen. Good morning. Like Matt said, my name's Stephen, and I'm over in Ames. And it's great to be back at Stonebridge. Super glad to be here. Um, We're going to be in Galatians 5 this morning, if you want to go ahead and flip there with me. Now, all through this study in Galatians, Paul has been condemning legalism, right? This idea that we gain favor or God's love through our ability to restrain sin or obey. And Paul's been condemning that legalism, that I either earn my salvation or God's love through my effort. So at this point in the book, we begin to kind of face this tension of, man, I know that it's not through my effort that I gain God's love or favor, but at the same time, I know I shouldn't keep on going like sinning. I should obey God. So how do we obey God in a way that we don't fall into the trap of legalism? So a couple of years ago, I was a youth pastor down in Des Moines, and I was leading the College Connection Group, and I got to know a guy who actually went to high school with me, but was a couple of years younger than me, uh, and he was going to be a freshman at Grandview University, and in August, right before his first semester, he ended up getting pulled over by the cops uh, while he was high and in possession of marijuana, and he got arrested. So I heard about this, and I reached out to him, and the two of us started meeting uh, weekly, getting Subway and stuff, and just started walking him through the gospel. And as you can imagine, getting arrested really shook him up, really caused him to start questioning where he was headed, what he was doing, Um, and, and he had grown up in the church, but really had this view of God that if you were somewhat of a decent person at the end, like, God just let you into heaven. So as we were meeting, he eventually starts coming to church with me on Sunday morning and then to my college connection group. And we just so happened to be going through the book of Galatians. At the same time, Grandview University required freshmen to take a Bible class. And so in this Bible class, he was assigned to do a study on the book of Galatians. So every Sunday morning, he's hearing preaching and class, he's studying Galatians and at connection group are discussing it. So it was about November after about three months of us being in Galatians, of us meeting up, of him coming to Connection Group and stuff, that he came to me one night after Connection Group. He's like, hey, dude, I don't know what happened to me this week, but I was reading in Galatians and came across 2.16, which says we're not justified by works, but by faith alone. He's like, I read that and, and something clicked for me this week that has never clicked before. And I can't even describe what happened, but I read that, and and all of a sudden, it all made sense. And for the first time, I knew that I don't come to God through my own actions, but through faith. He's like, I don't know what happened, but this, like, wave, like, came over me. It's been weird. It's been a weird week. I was like, dude, I think that you became a Christian this week and that you put your trust in Christ. And so we start talking and and discussing kind of more what has happened and what moving forward looks like. And and he said something that that just struck me, and he said— there's one thing I can't explain. This is the first time in my life that I know that through my obedience, that my obedience does nothing to get me right with God. But never in my life have I had a stronger desire to obey God than I do right now. That is what we experience. When we become a Christian, when, when my friend became a Christian, two things happened. For the first time, he realized God's love for him and the grace that he has given him through Christ. And the second thing that's happened is the Holy Spirit came and indwelled in him and created this desire in Heath to obey. 
Our passage in Galatians this morning is going to discuss that, this, this reality that the Holy Spirit comes and indwells in us in this old system that was powerless to get us to obey God. Now this new system, this Spirit-filled system, moves us to obedience to God. So here's what we're going to see in Galatians 5. Walk by the Spirit, and everything in your life will be transformed. Walk by the Spirit, and everything in your life will be transformed. So from that, Paul is going to discuss three realities in the Christian life. The first is this ongoing struggle in our life, the radically transformed life, and the new power to obey. So Galatians five sixteen through 26. Paul says, I, But I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other. To keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So look at verse 16. So Paul starts out and says, But I say, Walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So, so Paul starts with this command, walk by the Spirit. In light of what preceded it in chapter 5, the command, walk by the Spirit. And, th- and that command is followed by a promise. Walk by the Spirit, and then the promise, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. How do you obey God? How do we grow as Christians? If you walk by the Spirit, you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. If you walk by the Spirit, everything in your life will be transformed. So what does it mean to walk by the Spirit? Well, when you trust in Christ as your Savior, something amazing in that moment happens. God comes and lives in you. The God of the universe comes in the form of the Spirit and dwells inside of you. Is that not astounding? God, who created everything that we see and everything that we don't see, comes and dwells in you, takes residence inside of you. The Spirit fills us as believers and fills everyone else who believes. The God of the universe comes and dwells within us. Now, the Spirit's role in our life is first, it's like a spotlight to Jesus. It magnifies Christ, reminds us of what he's done. And then second, it conforms us to Jesus' likeness. So if you walk by the Spirit, you live in this awareness of the Spirit's work in your life, of of his promptings. You you quiet yourself daily and you say, Lord, Spirit, what do you want to do in me today? And what do you want to do through me today? 
When the Spirit convicts you of sin, you respond in repentance and obedience. When, when the Spirit prompts you, you obey. So if you do that, here's the promise. You will not sin. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. Everything in your life will be transformed. Now, what's the flesh? The flesh is this sinful nature. It's that part of us that still desires that which is wicked, that which is sinful. And so if you're walking in step with the Spirit, you can't at the same moment be gratifying the desires of the flesh. It's impossible. The two are opposed to one another. It's impossible to walk east and west at the same time. It's impossible to walk in the Spirit and in the flesh at the same time. So here's Paul's argument. How do you grow as a believer? How do you pursue obedience without falling into legalism? It's by walking in the Spirit. And if you walk by the Spirit, everything in your life will be transformed. Now, in light of that statement, Paul is going to unfold three realities in the Christian life. So first, in light of if you walk by the Spirit, everything in your life will be transformed, there is an ongoing internal struggle happening within all of us. Look at verse 17. Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So when you put your trust in Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit, set free from the sinful nature. However, as long as we live here, we are going to continue to struggle with this sin nature. We're going to continue to face this ongoing internal struggle between the spirit and the flesh. The flesh is against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They are opposed to one another, keeping you from doing the things you want to do. So because of this opposition, because the flesh is still within us, this sin nature, it hinders our ability to fully obey God like we long to. It's as if before you were a Christian, you were enslaved to this sin nature. Whatever it desired you to do, you did. You were enslaved. You were trapped. Completely in bondage to it. Now, the moment you trusted in Christ, that shackle was shattered. You were completely free. The chains were broken. You were saved and fully counted as righteous. We call that justification. So in that moment, you stand before God, completely forgiven and completely counted righteous. However, even though that chain has been broken, there's still sin nature around you. If, it, if, that, if you were chained to a monster, if sin is a monster, then that monster is still around. Sin is still present. So even though you've been set free from it, sin is still present. So we are no longer slaves to the sin nature, but it's still within us. It's still in our lives for the rest of this life. So... Although there's this battle within us, making war against the Spirit, the reality is that the Spirit has given us power to be transformed. So, Paul now describes externally what walking in step with the flesh and walking in step with the Spirit looks like. So, this brings us to the second reality in the Christian life. Walking by the Spirit brings radical transformation. So, Paul continues, verse 18. 
But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. So in this passage, you have listed both the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. If you walk and step with the flesh, here are the things that it will produce. You can expect these works, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. Rather, if you walk and step with the Spirit, here are the expected fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Paul's command in this passage is walk by the Spirit. So one of the roles, like we said, is the, of the Holy Spirit is to magnify Christ. Help us see with more clarity what Christ has done for us in the gospel. So when Paul says walk by the Spirit, one way that he accomplishes that, or one way that we accomplish that is as the Spirit reminds us of the gospel, we behave in a way that accords with those truths. So here's an example. As the Holy Spirit reminds us that we were once separated from God because of sin, but brought near because of the costly blood of Jesus, and we are saved and forgiven, and we'll spend eternity with God in heaven, what does that produce? It produces joy. The natural response to that reality is joy. So as the Spirit reminds me of that truth, it affects my behavior, and I'm joyful. Think of it this way. When I lived, I went to Iowa State, and when I lived in the dorms, I show up, and they're like, hey, welcome to your cyclone home. And I'm like, thanks. And then they're like, just so you know, there's asbestos in the ceiling. Have fun. I'm like, okay, is there any way, anything I need to do? Just don't chew on it. <laughs> don't chew on my ceiling. You really have to tell me not to chew on my ceiling. I'm pretty sure if you chewed on any construction material, just gnawing on it, you'd be pretty messed up. You don't see construction workers with caulking just gu- guzzling it down and saying, what? What do you mean this is dangerous? No, but what I also didn't do in my dorm is I never updated the carpet. I never painted the walls. I never fixed that asbestos problem. Why? Because it's a dorm room, and you're only going to live there for a couple months, and then you're going to move out. It'd be a waste of money to buy updates, right? So never once did I pay for any updates. Why? Because I knew there was a belief. I'm only going to live here for a short period of time that affected my behavior. I'm not going to purchase any updates. So it'd be like if the Holy Spirit, as I'm like tempted to buy new carpet for this room, that's gross anyways. As I'm tempted to buy new carpet, the Holy Spirit's like, whoa, you're only going to be here for two more months. And as the Spirit is reminding me of that truth, it affects my behavior. So the truth that the Holy Spirit reminds us of, you are a child of God, affects our behavior. Oh, peace. Now, that truth affecting behavior works both ways, both with the works of the flesh and the fruit of the Spirit. So, with this, the works of the f- flesh, 
you have this list, and you have these fruit of the flesh and, and these sins that are present in your life. And if these are the fruit in your life, then really we need to be asking, what is the deeper problem? What, if that is the behavior that we see, what, let's go back. What is the truth that you're failing to believe or the truth that you are believing? If the fruit is this sin, what is at the root? So as we look at this list of sins, we have to ask, if this is the sin that is present in my life, what is at the root? If this is the fruit, what is at the root? What is underneath this that is producing this problem? So Paul breaks this list of the works of the flesh into four categories. So the first category, you have sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Are you behaving in ways that are inappropriate sexually? Are you a man or woman that is honoring God sexually? Are you absolutely faithful to your spouse? With your thoughts, with your eyes, with your body? Are there things about your sexual life that no one else knows about? If sexual immorality is the fruit, then what is at the root? Well, that could be different for all sorts of people. It could be a failure to see how Jesus is the only one that satisfies every desire of our heart. And we're looking for that in sexual activity. Or we're failing to see how only Jesus can give us true control. And you're looking for control in sexuality. Are you failing to see how only Jesus can give us true approval and true worth? Are you failing to see how Jesus is the only one who can give us true comfort? If you're sinning sexually, then once you see that fruit, it's not enough to just say, how do I stop sinning in that way? We have to ask, what is at the root that is producing that fruit? The second group, idolatry, sorcery. Both of these are an attempt to access power or to manipulate a God to get our desires. So here's the reality. God has given us the greatest power there is in the world. The Holy Spirit resides in us. And sorcery is an attempt to access a power outside of the Holy Spirit to benefit us. So when I'm given into sorcery, the Holy Spirit, I don't actually believe that I'm indwelled by him. I'm not living in that reality. Idolatry, I'm going to sacrifice to a God in order to, to get my own way with him or manipulate it. If that's the fruit in your life, then the reality is that you're not living in light that God is a God who's poured out every spiritual blessing in your life through Christ. That he's a father to us that desires to love us dearly. The third group, verse 20, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy. Are you experiencing enmity with someone? A hostile opposition with them? Are you experiencing strife with someone? An angry or bitter disagreement? Who are you jealous of? What are you jealous of? What is that thing that consumes your mind? If I just had that, or if I was just born in that family, 
Or why is this so unfair? Do you have fits of anger? People have to tiptoe around you? Are there divisions among you or rivalries or dissensions? Are you envious of others? Do you live in a state of envy? Once again, the question is, if these are the fruit that we are identifying in our life, then what is the, the root that causes that? Why are you so envious? Why are you jealous? Why are you given to fits of rage? Another thing to point out in this third group is that jealousy is listed with witchcraft. There is no, uh, no sin. All sin separates us from God. Now, I'm not saying that one jealous thought is the same in consequence as witchcraft or fits of rage. But don't think for a moment that God doesn't take your sin seriously. Doesn't take your jealousy or your envy seriously. Sin is the fruit that reveals there is a horrible problem at the root. If you have a jealous thought, there is something drastically wrong inside. Thinking, yeah, God, you saved me. I was a wretched sinner that needed grace, and you paid the ultimate price coming and saved me, but that isn't enough. If I had that, then I'd be satisfied. There's something horribly wrong with us when we have jealousy in our life. The fourth group that Paul lists is drunkenness and orgies. Are you giving yourself over to reckless living? Celebrating wild living. Indulging in desires. Are you controlled with alcohol? If not, what is the root at that? So Paul ends this list at the end of verse 21 with this warning. I warn you as I warned you before that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Now, is Paul saying that if you sin ever, that there's no hope for you and you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God? No. He just discussed this internal, ongoing struggle that we're all going to face for the rest of our lives. For the rest of our lives, we're going to be tempted to sin and we are going to sin. So he's not saying that you have to shape up your life or you might not get into heaven. That's not what he's saying. But what he is saying is this. The reality is that the Holy Spirit indwells us when we trust in Christ. And you are going to begin to have this natural desire to obey God. Just like my friend who said, I've never understood more clearly that obedience doesn't get me God's love, but I desire to obey. If you have no desire to follow God, if you experience no conviction over sin, then perhaps you've never fully grasped the gospel and trusted in Christ. Verse 22, Paul now gives us the fruit that's in accordance with walking in the Spirit. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. The root produces the fruit. If you walk by the Spirit, there is going to be radical transformation that could take place in your life. You can be a person of love and of joy and of peace and of patience and of kindness and of gentleness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. 
as the Holy Spirit magnifies Jesus, helps us see what he has done for us more clearly, helps us understand with more depth God's love for us. These are the natural fruit that begin to be produced in our life, the natural response. As I realize that the healing I've received because of Christ, I'm filled with joy. You don't have to tell someone who is a cancer survivor to be joyful, right? Because they've been healed of a horrendous disease. If we grasp the horrendous disease that we've been healed from, an eternity separated from God, but we've been healed of the wretchedness of sin by Jesus' blood. Joy, that's the only response that's appropriate. You wouldn't have to tell anyone to be joyful because we just would. That's the natural response. It's the natural overflow in light of what Jesus has done. Peace, the judge of the universe who you once stood condemned, but Jesus took your place. You now have peace with the judge of the universe. What else could unsettle you? Patience. God was patient towards you while you were still a sinner, while you were in rebellion. Here's the reality. Each of these fruit are the natural attitude or behavior that flows from the truth that the Holy Spirit reminds us of. Just like the dorm room. Hey, you're only going to be here for two more months, so it affects my behavior. Hey, you have been saved and are going to spend eternity with God in heaven. That truth, as the Holy Spirit brings it back to memory, affects my life and produces this, this fruit as I'm reminded by the Holy Spirit of who Jesus was, as my affections are stirred for him, the natural behavior are these fruit. So someone who's displaying this fruit, it shows where their root is. The only way someone can go from fits of anger to consistently being gentle is through the power of the Holy Spirit. Walking by the Spirit. Now, some, now we, a lot of us are just so desperate to become this kind of person. Just long so much to be this person that this fruit would just flow out of. That we would change. That I just want to be freed from this sin that I've been so trapped in for so long. I want to be a person who's characterized by self-control and faithfulness. Our hearts long to be this kind of person. But our flesh keeps us from doing the things we so want to do. There's this internal battle, struggle going on that is raging within us. How do we become this sort of person? How do we go from someone who's trapped in fits of rage to someone who is gentle? Someone who is radically transformed, who's characterized by this whole list of fruit. How do we become that kind of man or woman? Lastly, the new power to obey. So Paul continues in 24. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. We have this new power to obey. 
We have this new power to walk by the Spirit and experience transformation in every area of our life. There's two new powers. First and 24, you belong to Christ Jesus, having crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The chains that once enslaved you are shattered. The penalty that you faced because of sin was taken from you and placed on Christ on the cross. You are no longer a slave to fits of rage or of jealousy or envy. The passions and desires of the flesh have been crucified. The power of sin and the penalty of sin have been crushed by Jesus on the cross. And now you belong to Christ Jesus. You are his. Because you belong to Christ, all of the approval all of the security, all of the comfort, all of the satisfaction, all of your deepest needs, the deepest longings in your souls have been satisfied by him. You no longer have to look to sex to make you feel approved. You belong to Christ. You are his. And not because of what you were able to do. It's all because he went to the cross for you to bring you into his family and make you belong to him. And if you really embrace that you belong to Christ, that your approval rests in him, you'll begin to be a person of self-control, a person of gentleness, a person of love and joy and peace. The second power that we have, verse 25, if we live by the Spirit. The God of the universe, just think about that for a second. The God who has existed for all of eternity, all-powerful, all-knowing God of the universe, that God lives in you. That is incredible. He has come and filled you and he now lives within you and has given you the power to obey. The law that was once powerless to lead you to obedience now has been replaced by the spirit who lives in us and gives us the power to obey. The desire to obey. The greatest power imaginable in all the world is in you. That is incredible. There is no spiritual fruit. When you look at this list in 22, when you look at this list, there's none of those characteristics that you now lack that the Spirit hasn't given you the power to grow in. There is no sin, as you look at 19 through 21, that you are trapped in, that the Spirit hasn't given you power to experience freedom from. The Holy Spirit has the power to transform everything in our life. Jesus bore the wrath of God for every sin, for every jealous thought, of every envious thought, for every explosion of anger, for every instance of strife, for every division, for every hostile thought that every person in the world has ever had. Jesus bore the wrath for those sins on himself on the cross. The full wrath of God crucified in our place 
Jesus showed us love when we were unlovely. He showed perfect joy in the Father. He showed perfect peace as he submitted to the Father's will. He was patient and kind and good to us who were rebels. Why? Because he loved us. He desired to rescue us, a people who were enslaved to sin. He came to set free, and not just free, but to make us into children so that we belong to Christ Jesus. He died in our place so that through faith we could be saved. And it is now as the Holy Spirit reminds us of that, magnifies Christ, that it begins to conform our lives to who Christ is. The Holy Spirit stirs our affections for him and reminds us of this truth that we who were once lost have been found, that we will spend eternity with God in heaven. And it's as we are reminded of those things through the Holy Spirit in us that the Holy Spirit also gives us power then to respond in our behavior and attitude and actions. We have this new power to be radically transformed by the gospel, by the Holy Spirit that is dwelling in us. Walk by the Spirit and everything in your life will be transformed. Let's pray. God, we just can't get over the reality that you would come and dwell in us. That the God of the universe dwells in us. That you've given us power to be free from sins that once trapped us and enslaved us. To walk in obedience to you. And not out of, out of fear that we might somehow lose your love. But God, out of the peace and joy and love that just fills our hearts as we contemplate the reality of the gospel that we were once far from you, but you paid such a costly price to save us, to free us, to forgive us, and to bring us into your family so that we belong to Christ. God, I pray that the Spirit would remind us of those truths daily, that it would be a constant reminder in our lives that, that the Holy Spirit would help us to see more clearly Christ. And God, that that would transform our lives radically. God, we love you. In your name I pray.